The piece where yoga and meditation actually come into play is that you are connecting your mind and your body through your breath. So you can think of your breath as the bridge between your body and your mind. And so that actually becomes somewhat of a moving meditation. You have more power over your health than what you've been told. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast. I'm Maya Acosta, and I'm passionate about finding healthy lifestyle solutions to support optimal human health. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase longevity in a big way. Let's get started. Stress is the most time-consuming topic that primary care physicians discuss with their patients who have chronic illness. In fact, it is estimated that 60 to 90% of primary care physician visits involve stress-related complaints or an illness augmented by stress. In chronic stress, the inflammatory reflex of the vagus nerve is disrupted. The body is left in a state of excessive pro-inflammatory cytokine production, which increases the risk of developing obesity insulin resistance, and type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and other debilitating conditions. But what if you are the physician who is experiencing chronic stress? Clinician burnout is characterized by emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a reduced sense of personal accomplishment from work. Burnout not only leads to increased physician dissatisfaction, turnover rates, likelihood of substance abuse, depression and suicide rates, and risk for medical illness, but also results in higher rates of medical error, reduced patient satisfaction, and negative patient outcomes. This information on stress comes from improving women's health across the lifespan. Our guest today is too familiar with physician burnout as she will share her personal story of experiencing all sorts of ailments from stress and how she developed a practice which now supports other physicians. Robin Tiger, MD, is on a mission to empower physicians with self-care tools backed by science and research. With physician burnout on the rise, Robin knows firsthand what it's like to love your job while also coping with stress, anxiety, overwhelm, imbalance, and even illness. She uniquely combines her 15 years in diagnostic radiology with certifications in yoga therapy, meditation, and life coaching in her innovative CME-accredited courses, private coaching, and podcasts that focus on complete physical, mental, and emotional well-being and resiliency. She is deeply passionate about helping her colleagues relieve stress, elevate calm, and live their best lives. When she's not supporting her colleagues, Robin can be found enjoying her own self-care through hiking, paddleboarding, meditating, yoga, playing with her dog, and husband and kids in the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. Please welcome Dr. Robin Tiger. Thank you so much for having me, Maya. I love your podcast, and it's really an honor to be here. I've been listening to your podcast, and um, I've also listened to your other appearances that you made in, in other podcasts, and I immediately feel relaxed, and I'm immediately reminded to take a deep breath and to just be present. Um, Robin, you have your own story of uh, dealing with stress and overcoming it. Would you like to share that with us? 
Yes, sure. Absolutely. And just to piggyback on what you just said, you know, if we envision ourselves as cups, right? The saying goes that you can't pour from an empty cup. So if your cup is empty, if you are empty and depleted, then if you spill that cup out, you don't have what to give other people, right? And it also goes to say that whatever you put in that cup spills out, right? So if you fill it up with amazingness and calm and balance and focus and love and everything else you want to put in there, then that's actually what you're going to be able to share with other people. So I love what you just said. And I just, that analogy, I'm a very visual person being a radiologist. So that analogy is really always stuck with me. And I just wanted to share that with your listeners. Um, But in terms of my story, yeah, I started out on a pretty traditional path of wanting to become a physician. Well, that actually started when I was eight years old and I saw a skeleton for the first time in my third grade class and recognized that was not a Halloween decoration. And that was inside our bodies. And I was super excited about that and thought the human body was the most amazing thing at age eight. And fast forward, uh, you know, I went through college and medical school and I did a year of internal medicine and four years of diagnostic radiology and a year of fellowship in body imaging. And then I went into practice and I still really do believe that practicing medicine is an incredible privilege and the most amazing profession. But what happened over time, being a physician, practicing, being a mom, being a wife, being a doggy mom, being on lots of committees and boards and very involved in my community and at the school and so on, is that I started to develop a lot of symptoms and they kind of creeped up over time. They weren't, it wasn't just all of a sudden I had all of these things happening to me, but little by little, I started to develop symptoms and things that didn't make sense, things that didn't seem to go together. I developed things like migraine headaches with really horrible vomiting, like like the kind where you're just, you know, saying, oh, if this would just stop, like I'll do anything, you know, make this stop. I developed really horrible vertigo, like someone would just call my name and I'd turn my head and then the whole room would spin. Very loud tinnitus that made it very difficult to sleep. I developed reflux, really horrible burning chest pain, and my gums were bleeding for just at any time, didn't have anything to do with what I was eating or drinking, just they would just start to bleed. And I developed really awful pain in my body where my whole body hurt all the time. Like it just felt like I couldn't move all the time. I describe it as the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz where you, know, you just can't move. It feels better not to move. And a really scary symptom that developed was that I began to get these areas or times where I'd have paresthesias in my hands and in my feet. I would get to the point where I'd be cutting up vegetables for a salad and I couldn't feel my hands. I would be doing a breast biopsy and I couldn't feel the biopsy gun in my hand. You know, really, you know, I'd be driving my car and the steering wheel would be difficult to feel. And as a physician, when these kinds of things happen, particularly this last symptom, I was terrified that I had this debilitating neurologic disease, right? Because what else would cause that? It's just, that's where my mind went. And I started to see a lot of doctors, saw a lot of our colleagues. I went to a gastroenterologist. I went to a periodontist. I went to a neurologist. Of course, started with my internist and so on. And everyone gave me a pill 
for my symptom, whatever that symptom was that I brought to them. And I ended up having a lot of pills that I was taking at once. I had lots of imaging studies that all came up negative. And I was just a mess. I was exhausted. I was stressed. I was anxious. I couldn't think straight. I was very reactive, saying things I didn't mean. You know, I just didn't know who I was anymore. And I started to have some really dark thoughts, you know, thoughts like, hmm, you know, I don't really want to hurt myself, but it would just be so much easier if I wasn't here. Like, I just don't want to wake up and spend another day feeling like this anymore. And that was terrifying, right? Because by this point, I think two of my three physician colleagues who had died from suicide had already died. And I saw myself going down that path and I didn't want to go down that path. And so even though nobody knew what was the matter with me, And Western medicine wasn't working at this point. And I was already exercising a lot. I was running races. I was eating a plant-based meal. I was eating well, physically fit. There was something missing, right? There was something that still wasn't right. And so I started looking outside the box of traditional medicine because I wanted to figure out how to help myself because no one else could. And that's when I started to hear about things like yoga, like meditation, for example. And those are things that I always thought were for those people over there. (laughs) I'd be on the treadmill. I'd be, you know, practicing for my race. And I would just look at that room down the hall, the fitness studio and fitness place. And I'd say, "Mm, I don't know what those people down there are doing. I'd like roll my eyes and had all kinds of preconceived notions about weird shapes with their bodies and lots of spandex and you know, being uncomfortable for a long period of time and so on. Many of your listeners may have the same thoughts. As a physician, you probably feel almost like you're not supposed to be sick. You're not supposed to have these thoughts because you are a physician. I was seeking help. I I did actually go to lots of doctors. I went to a mental health care professional. I was talking up a storm about all that was going on in my life. So I was open to getting help. I just wasn't getting the help that I needed. So the Western medicine physicians were giving me lots of medications and ordering a lot of tests, which were all negative. My mental health care professional was working with me with all my thoughts about everything. I even did some EMDR where you put the vibrating um, objects in your hands to try and work through any experiences and traumas that you, that you had. And so I was actually okay with that. What I did feel though, and what a lot of physicians feel when they start to even recognize that there's an issue going on, I felt a lot of guilt and shame and blame, right? So, and here I am on the outside. I'm a successful physician. I'm married to an amazing physician, human. I have two amazing kids. We've got this beautiful home. You know, all of everything on the outside looks perfect. Like anybody that would look at us thinks would think that they are so lucky. Look how perfect they are. But there was very, there was very discordant from how I was feeling on the inside. And there was a lot of, a lot of shame and guilt in that and actually admitting that things weren't okay. You know, why should I even complain? Because I've got it so good. And that's a really common thing that comes up. So that was something that, you know, I wanted to share. It wasn't that I didn't ask for help, but I actually felt really guilty and had a lot of shame around 
even admitting that I needed help about anything. Thank you for explaining that. That's so important for us to understand. Sometimes we don't think of our physicians as also going through something. Yeah, we're still humans, you know, we're, we're humans and we have human experiences just like everybody else. So what happened next? You said, so the Western medicine wasn't working for you. Those approaches weren't, weren't enough. Yeah. So I started to look outside the box of everything I knew. Right. And again, like I mentioned, I kept actually seeing the faces of my physician colleagues that had died from suicide. And I was so, so afraid that I was going to be ending up in that same direction. I all kind of saw a fork in the road. Like you can go that way or you can try another way. And even though I didn't know what that other way was, that was the only option I had was to try and figure it out. And as I mentioned, I started to see lots of advertisements about yoga and meditation in the, in the media, all over the place. People were talking about it, famous people, Hollywood, you know, people in the newspapers and the TVs everywhere. And there was this advertisement for this five-week yoga one-on-one series down the road from my home. And I must have seen it, I can't even tell you how many times and just thrown the newspaper away. Like, that's just ridiculous. But at one point, I saw it and I just, you know, I really thought about it. And I asked my neighbor, who's a nurse, and I said, do you want to go with me to this this thing? And she just kind of like rolled her eyes, you know, and I rolled my eyes. <laughs> and she had a lot of the same thoughts that I did. And I just told her, I said, look, you know, it's really informal. It sounds like we can just leave if we don't like it. And we can just go grab some dinner if we, if we want. And we'll just get out of the house, right? My husband's taking care of the kids and it'll be okay. And so we did. So we signed up and we went. And the teacher was actually an anthropology professor at a local university. And she kept a very informal class and she wove a lot of science and explanations into what we were doing. And by the end of the class, I started to feel very differently. This incredible shift happened where I felt really calm and I felt really clear and I wasn't tired And I was exhausted walking in there. I mean, I had worked a long day at the hospital. I'd seen so many patients. I had done so many biopsies. I had read so many cases and I had to come home and take care of my kids and rush, rush, rush just to get to this thing on time. And it was like 180 degree switch. It was unbelievable reset. And I just remember driving home that night and just my left brain was going wild trying to figure out what happened you know, what's the physiology behind what happened? But that was my first inkling into there's some other things that I can do because look what just happened after one hour. And that's what began my journey into understanding that there were other things that I could do. And I kept taking these classes and I was getting more into meditation as well. And my, my symptoms started to go away. My symptoms started to go away. And that's when I realized that there was physiology involved that I hadn't appreciated before. And the diagnosis that nobody was making was that I was suffering from chronic stress and that my stress response was causing these symptoms. And when I started to learn tools to become balanced in my nervous system, to bring that stress response and relaxation response back into what we call homeostasis or balance, I started to feel better. The migraines went away, the bleeding gums went away, the reflux went away, the pain in my body went away, the vertigo, the tinnitus, the numbness in my hands and feet, and the dark thoughts 
all over time went away. And it was really amazing. Was this a result of just um, your yoga practice or were you doing other things as well on top of that? Well, it started with the yoga. And what happened was because we're doctors and we love knowledge, I decided that I wanted to learn more. So the first thing I did was to go into a base level yoga teacher training only because I wanted to study more with this really wonderful teacher. And it was there that I learned about the field of yoga therapy. So yoga teacher requires 200 hour base level education and a yoga therapist requires 1,000 hours over a three-year period. And what yoga therapy does is it lets you expand upon the basic teachings in yoga so that you can help individuals with many types of illnesses, diseases, and symptoms. And I was like, wow, I want a doctor that way. (laughs) That sounds amazing because I'm already feeling better. So I can help other people feel better. And so the first piece was doing the teacher training and then going into a yoga therapy certification. And it was over that three-year period of time where my symptoms continued to get better and completely go away, combined with meditation, which was another three-year certification. And that was really amazing. And, you know, it's been about 10 years now, um, really honing in on the physiology and how to work with that and teaching others. And then that last piece was, you know, how do we work with our thoughts? And so I was so helped by working with a life coach to understand how to unpack all of those thoughts that we have every day that actually went on to become certified in life coaching. Can we talk a little bit about yoga therapy? Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love if you could explain a little bit more of that physiological impact that yoga has. We started going to a nearby yoga studio. For us, it became almost like a spiritual practice. This overall sense of wellness would come immediately after we completed our practice. And then we'd come home just feeling so good. Yoga is different. And why is that? Yeah, it's very different. So like I mentioned before, I mean, I've been a gym rat for years and I still am, right? So imagine doing your three sets of bicep curls. Well, while you're doing them, right, while I'm doing them, I'm making my grocery list. I'm thinking about my kids. I forgot to make that phone call. Oh, that patient told me this, you know, so there's a lot of stuff going on and I'm still strengthening my biceps muscle, but my mind is elsewhere. And it's really just strengthening your physical body, but that's it. And we need that. We need that so much, right? Which is why I'm still a gym rat. But the piece where yoga and meditation actually come into play is that you are connecting your mind and your body through your breath. So you can think of your breath as the bridge between your body and your mind. So every movement in yoga is connected with a breath, whether you're breathing in or whether you're breathing out. And you're focusing on that. And so that actually becomes somewhat of a moving meditation. And the way to get to our very busy 60,000 thoughts per day brain, most of those thoughts, not so nice brain, is to come from our body. So once we can actually calm our body down and get the stress response down, we can clear our mind, create space in our brain and start to work with what our thoughts are. We have more focus, we have more clarity, we have more understanding of what's going on. And you were asking specifically 
you know, how does it do that? And of course, you know, my left brain as my physician brain wants to unpack all of that. Cause I don't just like to say, Oh, that just happens. It's not good enough. Right. I need to understand it. And it really focuses on the autonomic nervous system, which I like to think of as automatic nervous system. The two words sound kind of similar, but the autonomic nervous system is responsible for the automatic things happening in your body. So you're just breathing, but you're not telling yourself to breathe. You're just, your heart's just beating, but you're not telling your heart to beat, right? And there's so many other things that it controls. And when we see that there are these two components, the sympathetic nervous system, which we know has the stress response, which is the fight or flight response, and the parasympathetic nervous system, which we know as the relaxation response or the rest and digest response, these two components, we want to be friends. We want them to be hanging out, working together equally all the time. But when we're chronically stressed, the stress response is taking over. It's taking over. And all the things that it does when we really need it acutely right away to run away from those wild animals, for example, those same things are happening in our body when we're chronically stressed. So our muscles are tight, our heart rate's up, our blood pressure's up right? We have digestion shut down. We have our immune system shut down. Like fats and sugars are mobilized, even though we don't really need them. So like all these things are happening in our body 24 seven, we're chronically stressed. And that's why you feel so bad in your body. Your whole body hurts. You're not digesting your food. You're anxious. You can't think straight, right? All these things are happening. And what's probably why you're starting to feel a little bit different because you're not having that ongoing balance that you were used to when you were taking your classes. So it's really all based on your physiology and how we come to that calm, balanced place. And it's become sort of like the norm for us to be chronically stressed to the point where we're not actually aware that we are not relaxed. Because you are a life coach, I want to mention this to you, um, that we have, my husband and I have a couple that work with us, they're life coaches as well. And the first thing that we do to allow ourselves to be present is check in with physical sensations. What are some physical things that are happening within? And then we move on to emotions. How am I feeling today? Without going into the story, just I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling sad, whatever it may be. And then um, we do breath work. Like what you're saying makes so much sense when we talk about the vagus nerve, when we talk about what it means to be trauma informed. When you talk about the autonomic system, I think I've heard you say that the one thing that we can actually control, the only thing that we can control when it comes to that is our breath. Yeah, it's really interesting. So our breath is the only autonomic function or automatic function, as I like to think about it, that we can take over anytime we need to. And that's because we have both voluntary and involuntary muscle fibers in our diaphragm. Our diaphragm is that large muscle that separates our chest from our belly. And it's that large muscle that moves up and down as we breathe. And most of the muscles that are involved in the autonomic nervous system are involuntary. It means we don't have control over them. But our diaphragm also has voluntary muscles, which means we can control over our diaphragm, which means we can choose how we want to breathe in any given moment. And our breath can do four really incredible things. Our breath can calm us down. Our breath can wake us up. Our breath can cool us off. And our breath can heat us up. So we can breathe in four different ways to achieve one of those four different outcomes. 
And so when you're talking with your coaches and you're working with your husband, you most likely are doing breath work to calm down based on you were saying anger and things like that. And that's the most common way that people like to use their breath. And that's one of the most common ways that I teach people to use their breath. And you mentioned the vagus nerve. Vagus nerve is very important. So for your listeners, they may not know the vagus nerve is the longest cranial nerve that we have. And it means wanderer in Latin. And it starts in our brain and it goes all through our body down into our abdomen, into our bellies. And that nerve is the main nerve that's part of the parasympathetic nervous system or the relax and rest and digest or relaxation response component of our nervous system. So it's very important that we want to calm down. We focus on doing things that are going to activate that nerve. And when we're working on breathing to feel calmer, we breathe in a way, for example, to activate that nerve. We want to do movement to feel calmer. We move in a way to activate that nerve and so on. And so that's a very, very important nerve that you mentioned. And we use that a lot in ways to help us feel better and feel calmer and more grounded. Can you also explain what it means to be trauma-informed? Yes. So I'm certified in several disciplines. Um that are trauma-informed. I'm actually on the faculty of trauma-informed yoga therapy, and I teach trainings to mental health care professionals and other yoga professionals nationally. And what it means really is to understand how to create a safe space for the person in front of you that you're working with. And that could be a physical space. If you're actually in a physical space, what does that look like? Like when I work with our military, I know the first thing they do when they walk in a room is look for the door and look for the exit. And I also know that that door has to be open. I know that they have to see that door. So I will always position myself, for example, in a place where they can see an open door. That's just one example, right? How can we use our language? Really using language that's very inclusive, um, that creates invitation and choice, You know, if someone is afraid of the dark or someone had a trauma where they were assaulted or if someone, you know, had an issue where closing their eyes would be a problem, I never say, close your eyes. What I would say is, if you feel comfortable, soften your gaze or close your eyes, whatever, whatever you'd like to do. There's a very big difference. I've had people come to me saying, oh my gosh, they told me I had to close my eyes and I just had this horrible experience, right? And so particularly military veterans, I just keep coming back to that, who happen to be our first responders as well, our SWAT team, firefighter, police officers, and so on. They've been trained to be looking around all the time. It's very, very difficult for them to close their eyes and to trust right away, right? So people who go into work with them and they tell them to close their eyes, they have ab reactions. They have bad experiences. They have really bad shaking. And sometimes they have to get up and leave, So an example of what a trauma-informed experience would be there is, again, that invitation to soften or close your eyes and the choice. You can or you don't have to, right? And so everything that I teach, whether it's a child, whether it's a soccer mom, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a first responder, whether it's a military veteran, I mean, you name it, whoever it is, I teach by invitation and choice. And that way, the person that's in front of you is in control of everything they're doing, And they feel like they're in control of everything they're doing. And you are just the instrument by which they're making those choices. And those are just two examples. You know, how can you use your language? How can you set up a room? When it comes to touch, it's another thing. When you're physically with somebody, you know, if you are to touch them, 
What do you say to them? How do you touch a person? Do you touch a person? Right? So there's all different things around touch and it could be a whole other episode on that. But those are some, just some examples of components of what would create a trauma-informed space. Being sensitive to things that can be triggering also with another coach that I work with when there is something that's on the surface that I want to work through. She first guides me towards finding something that can ground me, something that I can hold on to so that when we're working with, with an emotion, it doesn't become overwhelming to me. I, I come back to that which feels good and grounds me. This is why I want my listeners to be aware of coaches like yourself and, and how I feel that this kind of work is it's so effective. Now you've taken all this knowledge and now you're supporting your colleagues, you're supporting other physicians. Yeah. So you touched on something uh, when you were talking about being grounded in a particular vision or something that you come back to. And I'd like to just talk about that first in that the type of meditation that I'm certified in is called iRest, little I, big R, like the iPhone. And it was initially created for Walter Reed Army Hospital to help our military relieve suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And it needed to be trauma-informed. It needs to be very secular. It needed to be culturally sensitive. A lot of meditations out there, when they are guided, as you said, could be triggering, right? And actually that word I don't use with our military. Why? If I said the word trigger, what would happen? <laughs> right? So that's a word actually I'm using with you here, but that's a word I would not use with our military or first responders, because that would be give them all types of visuals of things I don't want them to be thinking about, right? But this meditation called iRest has been incredibly helpful for our military to relieve and help process experiences and traumas and all of the suffering that goes along with post-traumatic stress. It's also been found to be profoundly helpful for chronic pain, so much so that the Department of Defense has declared this type of meditation a tier one treatment for chronic pain in 2010. And that's because what we come to understand is that most of the pain we feel in our bodies, not from something that you've had an accident or a trauma over, but just the everyday pain that we feel in our bodies is related to a lot of the thoughts that we're having consciously or subconsciously that cause our stress response to cause our muscles to tense up and then stay tense and get stuck. And that's why we have neck and shoulder pain and back pain and hip pain and so on. And so being able to create a safe type of meditation that would be inquiry, meaning don't think this, feel this, but inviting people to think a thought or notice an emotion or notice a feeling. Instead of you're floating down the river, well, what if somebody had a near drowning experience or what if a plane crashed and it crashed in the water, right? So that might be super calming for some people, but that could be horrible for other people. So really finding a very neutral type of meditation was very important to me. And I can use that for anyone. If it's good for our military, it's good for every single person. And I just wanted to bring that up as continuing with our trauma-informed conversation because some people may have had bad experiences with meditation for that very reason. A lot of people come to me with things like that. And you mentioned that grounding piece. That's one of the very first things I do when I facilitate this. We call it the inner resource. And I actually did a whole podcast episode on this. Creating your inner resource, which is what you described, is creating something that's very particular to you 
that feels very comfortable and safe that you can come back to whenever you need to. So in terms of what I've created, I've created what's worked for me. And I've added to that and added to that and added to that over this last decade in particular, weaving in the concepts of yoga therapy and meditation. I know, for example, doctors are busy. A lot of my clients are super busy. They don't have an hour, an hour and a half. But when I've asked them, how much time do you have? You know, they'll say "Hmm, 15 minutes, right? So what I've done is I've taken the concepts, I've taken the tools and I've created programs that are, that have lessons, just like my podcast that are like 15 minutes or less. Some are five minutes, some are seven minutes. In general, all the lessons are very short. So someone can learn something new every day and feel really accomplished. And they're just work with that one thing. So I took the way that physicians learn best and I took all of the things that I described to you, the components of yoga therapy, the components of this eye rest meditation and life coaching. And I put it all together, working from both the body bottom up and the mind top down, which is very different than a lot of people are working maybe only top down from the mind. And I created RX Inner Peace, a physician's guide for self-care. And that's a CME accredited program for 25 CME through UNC Mayhek. And that combines self-paced online learning in these very short, digestible bites of information with live group and private coaching. And then I had a lot of other people, other healthcare professionals, non-healthcare professionals, you know, my cancer thrivers who I also teach say, what about me? What about me? And so I took that program and I broke it down into six shorter programs, four hours each. They're also all accredited for healthcare professionals, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, and open to everyone. So I've had lots of people that, you know, have taken those programs as well. And then private coaching for those that prefer. I definitely need to share this information with uh, people that I think could benefit from this. Um, you've also said um, prior to us studying, starting the podcast that you're now um, faculty with the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Can you tell us about the contributions? Tell us um, what the role will be and how you will take some of these teachings, some of this information to add to, I believe you said, the manual. That's right. So um, I know that you're very focused on lifestyle medicine. So I'm assuming that you've talked about the different pillars on your podcast. The pillar that is near and dear to my heart, as we've been talking about, is stress management. And, you know, I believe that stress management is chronic stress is really almost like an umbrella under which a lot of other pillars live, right? So if you're you're stressed, you're not going to eat right, you're not going to sleep, you're not going to exercise, you might reach for those external substances that you wouldn't otherwise need, your interpersonal relationships are affected, right? So being able to really control your stress helps you with all those other pillars. And the American College of Lifestyle Medicine has brought me on as lead faculty and subject matter expert for stress management. And my first task here is to actually create content for that section of the manual that is being studied to become certified in lifestyle medicine. I've had several lifestyle medicine certified clients, physician clients, as well as colleagues that are certified in lifestyle medicine. And they say, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing to relieve my stress, or I don't really know what I should be telling my patient that shows up stressed. So there's a lot of really good content in there, but what they're asking for is actionable tools. So my task will be over this year for the next 2023 version that will be coming out 
is to create the content that I believe will be really, really effective and helpful. Add to that really awesome content that's already there so that whoever's studying it will have actionable tools for themselves and then be able to share those tools with their patients and with their clients. Excellent. This is wonderful. Now, healthcare providers who have already been board certified in lifestyle medicine, will they have access to this new material? Oh, you tell me. <laughs> how does it how does it work when you log on? I don't know. <laughs> you bring up the pillars of lifestyle medicine and I think of how when it comes to the materials that are available, um when we talk about food, it's very detailed, very, very detailed um, what to eat. I feel like there are a lot of resources when it comes to food, even exercise. It's very clear how often we should exercise and why. When you talk about, for example, somatic yoga, yoga therapy, the, those details of what you describe are so much more specific and it sounds very effective that I think that anybody who has already, you know, who is now board certified would probably enjoy having access to that as well. I would hope they would have access to it. I've also been talking to them about creating additional video type content, you know, creating courses and things that would be helpful for anybody else who's not currently studying, you know, or won't be studying as of, you know, 2023. So I'll keep that conversation open, but I'm happy to create that content for ACLM. You know, my husband and I always play with the idea of when he moves out of vascular surgery to sort of have a lifestyle medicine practice and how these tools would be so important for the team and even holding, even bringing in a, you know, someone who does practice or teach yoga. Well, that's wonderful. And we can call it whatever we want. You know, I, I semantics is everything. You know, I just, when I work with physicians lots of times, I'll just call it relaxation session or, you know, whatever I call it, I just call it something that is appealing so that they will want to learn. It doesn't have to be called anything in particular. Yes, it's yoga therapy. Yes, it's meditation. Yes, it's life coaching. But I'm teaching the skills from those disciplines. And whatever I have to call it, whatever I have to say, <laughs> I will do so that they will learn it. And like you said, I've had several lifestyle medicine certified physicians and lifestyle medicine practices reach out to me and say, hey, would you be able to come in and, you know, do a workshop or do a course or create something ongoing for my patients. And so I'm in conversation with practices and doctors that are asking that same thing because they're feeling like you, they need that information, you know, cause your patient isn't going to want to eat the food you want them to eat. If they're not calm, <laughs> they're still going to want their chips and their cake and their cookies and everything else. Right. So we need to really work, like I said, from the bottom up to get that body calm and then work with everything else. So your podcast is called stress-free the stress-free md podcast so my website is stressfreemd.net and the podcast has the same name the stress-free md podcast and then the snacks is sort of a term that you threw out there in terms of uh, talking about how short and doable your episodes are. Well, I don't know if you encourage um, people listening while they're driving. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Sometimes I'll teach something and I'll say, well, if you just want to listen and practice it later, you can. But people listen in their cars, people listen in their cars with their kids in the cars. You know, everything is very family friendly. The kids are feeling it. I love getting messages like, oh my gosh, my kids learned this thing you did. And then they went to school and they taught their whole class and their teacher and so on. So so the ripple effect's really wonderful. But yeah, the intention is to keep it short and sweet so that you can feel really accomplished, you know, and not have to keep pausing and pausing and maybe coming back to it or not. And 
than forgetting. (laughs) I love that you make this available for everyone, but that you really do focus on supporting physicians. And I kind of just want our listeners to hear some statistics that you've shared in the past about depression when it comes to medical students. You said that one in four medical students are depressed or have depressive symptoms. 11% have suicidal thoughts and only 15% seek out help. Mm -hmm. That means a large percentage of uh, medical students already start their career with stress and Mm -hmm. um, sort of maybe, I don't know, self-destructive type thoughts. And then they move on to their practices, working with other patients, feeling this way. I think you said half of all patients experience burnout. And so what you're doing is you're offering support. Do you currently speak with medical students now or do you have, is your program geared towards working with them as well? I have had several medical students reach out to me and I've been in conversation with some deans because uh, my passion would be to get this information intracurricular into their everyday learning beginning at day one. An important statistic from a research study that came out showed that medical students when compared to age-matched peers. So college graduates that just matriculated that are going to medical school, when they were compared to their age-matched peers who were not going to medical school, it was found that medical students had better quality of life, less burnout, and less depression than their age-matched peers, which means they're coming into medical school healthier and happier and stronger than their age-matched peers. So we know that it's the process, it's the training that then creates all of the things you are describing because they're coming in strong. They're not coming in broken. And the literature is showing that 50% of medical students burn out and that, as you mentioned, there's a high, high incidence of depression. There's a high incidence of suicidal ideation and that only worsens. So research shows that when medical students then become interns, that within the first three months of internship, 20% of interns within the first three months have suicidal ideation. It's like double medical students. And then when we evaluate residents, medical residents, suicide is the number one cause of death in males and the second cause of death in females after cancer. And then we talk about attendings, right? So prior to the pandemic, half of all physicians were burned out, one out of two. And now with the most recent statistics just came out, I think it's like Medscape's 2022 suicide and burnout report. There's came out depression report. They're saying four out of five physicians are burned out, which means if we've got a million physicians in this, in this country, 800,000 are burned out. That's huge. Over 80%, some say over 90% now are somewhere on the depression scale. And they're only expecting suicide to go up as the pandemic starts to clear. So we have a lot of work to do. (laughs) There's a lot of work to do and a lot of education that we need to provide to both reverse and prevent, just like lifestyle medicine, to both reverse and prevent what's going on. I wonder if you know of any statistics that show where physicians are and really healthcare providers, just practitioners that um, have come to this information of lifestyle medicine, where they are today as a result of that. My experience when I see people come together at these conferences is this renewed sense of purpose, this wonderful energy, very different than going to a standard uh, physician conference, probably. Have you noticed that there is a better sense of overall happiness? Yeah. I mean, I think they're walking the walk. 
they're walking the walk. So overall, yes. Although, as I mentioned earlier, I do have lifestyle medicine certified physicians as private clients that have come to me that that are stressed out. (laughs) They're like, I know that stress is really important and I need to manage it, but I don't know how. Right. So I feel like they're very strong, particularly in the plant-based diet. They're very strong in the diet piece. They're very strong in the fitness piece. They understand the other pillars, but this stress piece, we still need to work on, which is what I'm working on this year. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. I am too excited. Okay. So I just want to go over this again. You mentioned your CME accredited courses. So you have the RX inner peace program. Mm -hmm. And then for other individuals, it's kind of broken down into six components. I think you said Mm -hmm. six shorter programs. And how can people access all of that, including your podcast? What is the best way to reach you? Yeah, they can go to my website, which is stressfreemd.net. And it's there that they'll find a link to my podcast, or you can listen to it on your favorite platform, the Stress Free MD podcast. There's information about the RX Inner Peace program for physicians, as well as in the self-care shop, the other six programs are listed. And there's also information about my private coaching. Robin, this has been wonderful. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to learn? Well, I'd like them to know that if they're feeling anything that I described earlier in our chat, that they're not alone. I felt very alone several years ago. So if you're feeling like I'm feeling, like I was feeling rather, you're not alone and it's very normal. Normal doesn't mean okay. Normal means you're not alone and it's become the new norm, but it doesn't have to be. I'd like you to know that you have the innate ability to feel calm, to feel better, to feel in control and to be a much healthier version of yourself. You just need to learn how. And I also want to emphasize if you are having those dark thoughts, if you do need to talk to somebody, please do it. There are free hotlines available for suicide hotlines. There is also a hotline available for physicians specifically that is that are led by physician mental health care professionals that donate their time to speak to physicians who want to talk about what's going on. So I just want to emphasize that. Please reach out. Please, please, please. Thank you, Robin, so much for this time. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to spread our message. Thanks for listening.